We have a lot of kids in the room here, which is really, really exciting, because I, I, I don't know about you, but um, tomorrow's a pretty big day, and uh, how many of you kids in here, help me out, how many of you are excited to wake up tomorrow morning really, really early, really early, and open up some Christmas presents? I don't believe you. Are you excited? That's right. Yeah, I see some child at heart. Yeah, for sure. Okay. It's, a, it's an exciting time, and, and I think tomorrow is a really, really special time. We get to come downstairs with our family, open some Christmas presents, and, and that word present, it, that's a really interesting word, because the word present can actually mean a few different things based on how you say it or how you spell it. Let me give you an example. Um, you can say uh, that I am going to present you with a gift, Right? Or you could say it like this, I want to present you with a present, meaning I want to give you some specific or particular gifts. Or you can say that I want to present you with the present of my presence, which I know is exactly what you wanted for Christmas. We all love getting presents. I think there's a reason for that. And that's because we were made by a God who loves to give gifts. I want to look at Christmas presents in three ways in our brief time together. And I want to do so through the lens of the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to first show you that Christmas is a reminder that God presents. In Matthew chapter 2, in verse 1 and 2, again, it'll be on the screen behind me, it begins like this. It says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This story we often read around the Christmas season is not actually about three kings who have come from the east. It is actually more about two kings who are coming to a head-to-head battle, a face-off. The two actual kings that are mentioned here are King Herod and King Jesus, and they both represent really two different kinds of kingdoms, the kingdom of man, represented by Herod, and the kingdom of God, represented by Jesus. One of these is in a position of worldly power and is at the height of his earthly rule. The other is a baby born in lowliness and humility. He is born and then he is placed in a manger. One lives in a great palace or home. The other is born into obscurity and poverty. And God chose to present his king in a unique way almost 2,000 years ago by placing a star in the sky above the city of Bethlehem. The nature of this star is actually uh, debated. People aren't really sure what to make of this. Is this some kind of an astrological phenomenon? Did, did this happen to just be a naturally occurring process whereby the stars aligned, so to speak, at this exact moment to present some unique star that nobody had yet seen? 
Or is this a supernatural star placed there at this exact moment in time by God himself, the one who created the heavens and the earth and who hung every star in its place? There's actually a third option that's really, really interesting. Some people believe that this star is actually an angel. Ancient people often viewed stars as supernatural beings or the heavenly host as the scripture often calls them. Angels are said to descend and to guide people and they're often associated with a glorious brightness. We know already in the Christmas story that the angels show up and the glory of the Lord shone around them. We really don't know what this star is and how exactly God decided to do this, but if it is an angel, if this is true, if it is an obedient angel, this angel is being used by God to lead these men to come to God's gift to humanity. Throughout the history of the church, people have often placed a star or an angel on the top of their Christmas tree, and oftentimes that angel is a reminder that angels play a massive part in the arrival, the first coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, maybe just quick show of hands. How many people have a star on top of the tree? Let's do a little survey here. Anybody, I can kind of see you. How many people have an, anybody have an angel on the top of the tree? All right. A few really godly people. I like that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, growing up, this is near and dear to my heart because growing up, we actually, uh, we had an angel for years on the top of the tree and it's really, really meaningful to me because it's an angel that I made in Sunday school. And, and, uh, and so for years, my parents were like, wow, this, this work of art needs to be displayed for everybody to see as they enter our home around the Christmas season. In fact, I, I got a picture of it just so you can see it. You wanna pop that up there? But uh, nothing says Merry Christmas like, you can't unsee that either, by the way. You, Merry Christmas, you're going to bed tonight and you're having nightmares. This is, uh, we, we, we affectionately called that, by the way, the killer angel. And um, I, I actually think it makes, it makes sense. I think that might be an accurate depiction because when the angels show up, they say, fear not. Now you know why. They, <laughs> Whatever it is, however God put this star in the sky, what we need to see is that it was this unique, strangely divine sign. God himself, maker of heaven and earth, was presenting a gift to humanity and he wrote it in the sky. And that angel drew these Wise men, these magi, these men from the east who were familiar with the stars, they had some kind of astrological understanding. They were studying the sky and they saw something unique and it drew them away from their home across land and sea far and wide to come and see someone special. And verse two actually tells us that they were looking for a child. Isn't that fascinating? They saw something phenomenal in the sky and they knew it pointed to the birth of a child and not just any child, but he, they say, who is born king of the Jews. It's his star. How did they know about this star, about his star? 
These men not only knew how to read the stars, it is obvious and clear that they actually had read the book written by God, the God who made the stars and hung them in the sky. They, it seems, knew of the oracle that was given through Balaam, recorded in Numbers 24, verse 17. Listen to what it says there. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. What they have seen is such good news that they came from afar to see this king and to worship this king. And here we see that God presents his gift to the world. When you come downstairs tomorrow and you see the star or the angel above your tree, I hope that is a reminder to you that God himself brought gifts to you. He brought the gift of himself, of his son, Jesus Christ. Every time that you pick up a present, I, I hope when you get downstairs tomorrow morning and, and you look at the gifts under the tree, you don't somehow, right, you, you don't look at those gifts and think that somehow I went to bed last night and miraculously these gifts just appeared. We know that those gifts are given to us by someone. I hope you can see that there is a God the maker of heaven and earth, who is holding out a gift to you on this Christmas day. The star is a reminder that Christmas is not primarily about what you can give to or get from people, but about what God has given to you. What exactly is the present? If we're to dig into it, here's, here's the second way we can look at Christmas presents today, and that's this, God's presence. That's what the present is. It is God's very presence. And look at what it says in the following verses. Verse three through eight says this. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him." Not everyone is happy about this gift, this king. And Herod is a king who is obsessed with earthly power. He views the arrival of this, this king as a threat. This young child is a threat to his power, to his dominion, to his rule, to his reign. And he believes this so deeply that he will actually Try to prevent this king's rise to power by killing all of the, the boys under the age of two. And in verses three through eight here, Herod is greatly troubled, and so he secretly 
uh, calls the, the wise men to him and he lies to them, he deceives them. But before he does that, notice that he, he brings the religious scholars to him to give him insight into what the scriptures teach about this coming king. They quote the prophet Micah in Micah 5.2 to give some clarity. Again, The secrecy of Herod in calling the wise men to him reveals his heart and his sinister plans. Herod is a liar, he is a deceiver, he is a murderer, and God right here in this passage is drawing a contrast between these two kings. We have a demonic madman versus a divine Messiah. And the two couldn't be more different. One comes to steal and to kill and to destroy like his father, the devil. The other comes to invite, to save, and to give life. These two kings represent two very different spiritual realities. You see, the backdrop to these prophecies of the ruler of Judah, who will shepherd my people Israel, is that the world is lost in darkness. Satan reflected again in this despotic rule of Herod, he is called in the New Testament by John the ruler of this world. And this boy, born in a a manger in the city of Bethlehem, has come to put an end to the rule of Satan and his domain of darkness. That's why this, this boy that we celebrate at Christmas, we know is no mere human child. In fact, earlier in Matthew, in chapter 1, we get great clarity on the nature of this child who is to be born to Mary and Joseph. Look at what it says in chapter 1. I'll just put it on the screen there. It says in verse 18 that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, he was given the name Jesus Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And then verse 23, and his name will be Emmanuel, which means, here it is, here's the kicker, God with us. The child, in other words, was conceived by a supernatural process from the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish a supernatural plan to save people from their sins And so he himself must be a supernatural person, Emmanuel, God with us. It was in the Garden of Eden, the very beginning of the Bible, that God was first with us, with humanity. It was pure bliss. God's presence saturating the Garden of Eden as the first man and woman lived in the presence of God. The psalmist says this, that in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is the picture of life to the fullest. But it was there in that garden where man was enjoying the intimate presence of God, that man's sin came into the picture. His disobedience, his rebellion, his rejection of God as king flooded humanity and the entire cosmos. 
It was man's sin that cost humanity that intimate presence, that fullness of joy. And ever since then, humanity has been reaching and trying to grab hold of that presence of God, the pleasures forevermore, that satisfaction of the soul. Do you ever consider why it is that everywhere you go, people are obsessed with seeking happiness? Why does true satisfaction feel and seem so elusive? Why is it that the gifts that we get at Christmas only offer temporary excitement or pleasure? The kids that rip them open, play with them for an hour, and then cast them to the side and say, just give me something more, something better, something different. The craving for joy Peace, hope, love, meaning, purpose. They are real in all of us and they point beyond anything that this world can actually give to us. These cravings, they themselves are a sign that both something is very right in us and something is very wrong in us. It points to the fact that we are created by the creator and we are designed for joy. We are designed for satisfaction. We are created and designed for pleasure forevermore. But it also reveals that we are constantly trying to find it apart from the only one who can truly give it. We settle for lesser joys, lesser purpose, self-defined meaning, rather than God-designed meaning. Christmas reminds us that it's not presence from a person, but the presence of a person that we really need. As one of the, the great, I think, contemporary theologians of our time has expressed it, I'll put it on the screen, I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. Come on, let me get through it. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. Yeah. <laughs> it's Mariah Carey, right? I, to be fair, to be fair, she was not talking about God, okay? But my point is this. What, what she, she, she speaks more than she knows. She says something that's true, that we would rather have a person than have things. And, and that's, that's true because it's an echo of the eternity that God has built into our hearts. Our heart longs for relationship above all else, and not just with any person, but with God himself. It is his presence that our hearts long for, they ache for, they crave, they need. It's a cry of every human heart, the presence of a person, a relationship, fellowship, and intimacy with the creator of all things. The message of Christmas is so simple. Here it is in a nutshell. The world cannot save itself. God has come from heaven to earth to lead you, to shepherd you out of your sin and into his glorious, life-giving, joy-filling, eternally satisfying presence. The Christmas present he offers you is the gift of his very own presence, 
like the wise men, the question is this, will you seek him and will you find him? He is not far from any one of us. He has made himself known. And when you do find him, and I pray you do, I pray that today you find him. When you do, the question then is this, what is it that you will give to him? Well, we give him, lastly, I'm sure you can guess, God presents. Presents that are fit only for God. And in verse 9 through 12, Here's what the word of God says. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These wise men are warned by God not to go back and to tell Herod what they have found, who they have found. Herod does not want to worship this king. He wants to kill this king. And so what they do is, is they express faith in God. They turn from one king to another king. They give allegiance not to a false king, a worldly, earthly king. They give their allegiance to the true king, the king of kings. They seek him following the leading of God and they find him with his mother. And their response is what God is seeking from all of us. Notice what they do. They fall down and worship him. But you know, the reality is, is that we can respond to Jesus in a number of different ways. We can respond to Jesus with indifference, or we can respond, like Herod, with hostility, but both equally reject his rule. Or we can respond with these wise men with worship. And I want you to consider who is bowing here. It's not Herod. It's not Herod, it's, it's not the scribes or the Pharisees. It's these wise men who have traveled far from the east. These, these men are Gentiles. They're outside of the covenant promise of God, the covenant people of God. But the Gentiles are the ones who are coming to the king of the Jews, Jesus Christ. And it's reminding us that the words of the angels in Luke 2, 10 through 11, are true, where it says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In their coming, the Magi, these wise men, they prefigure all nations bowing the knee before King Jesus. And it reminds us that there is not one person who will be cast away if they come and bow the knee to the king. 
It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, the life you've lived. You are invited to come and bow the knee to the king. We all have that person in our life that's really hard to buy for, right? Any of you with me, you're still like, I still can't figure it out, and today is going to be the day. It's not. It's not going to be the day. You're getting a gift card, okay? (laughs) We all have those people in our lives where it's like, I just, it's so hard to figure out what to get them. You know, you just, they they seem to have everything they need, so it's just like, I don't know. I just, just think about this. What kind of present do you give God? I mean, he doesn't need anything. They come to God in flesh, Jesus, and they offer him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. All of those things, by the way, are gifts that are fit for a king. They are doing something very, very profound in this moment. Do you see what they're, they're doing? Do you see what they're saying in their bowing, in their worship, in their gifts? They're making a declaration of fact first, okay? A declaration of fact. They are saying, you are the king. It's fact. But more than that, they are making a declaration of faith. They are saying, you are our king. You are my king. And so here is the most important question that you can ask this Christmas. Is Jesus your king? Is he your king? We all have a choice to make. We all have to ask this question, who is your king? You have a king, you do. Whose voice will you heed? Will you be indifferent to Jesus? Will you be hostile to him? Will you just embrace him as one of many options and essentially reject him in doing so? Or will you, even this day, bow low and give him not just all that you have, but all that you are? Those are the God presents he wants us to bring, ourselves. That's what these men are doing. Yeah, they're giving him gifts, but really what they're doing is giving Jesus themselves. Jesus came so that you can have him. And he would give all of himself for you. Remember the plan that we read about in in chapter one when we put it on the screen there? His plan, the supernatural plan, was to come and save people from their sins. The only thing that separates you from God today is your sin. And Jesus came into this world to make a way for you to get back to God. You couldn't get yourself there. You couldn't climb your way to heaven through your good works, through your effort, through your money, through your wisdom, through your power, through your reputation. You couldn't get there. There was no way possible. And so God, out of love for you, came down from heaven to earth. He came as a baby born in a cradle, but listen, that's not where his life would be defined. He would hang on a cross of wood for you. He would grow into a man, the God-man, and he would give himself as a willing sacrifice for your sins. He would be punished by God in your place. He would pay your debt of sin in full. 
And the only way to receive that gift today, listen, is to bow the knee in faith before him. It is to grab the gift by believing in him and laying your life down and saying, God, you are my God. Jesus, you are my king, and I am your servant. Jesus Christ, yes, would die, but three days later he would rise, and he would ascend to the right hand of the Father, where he currently right now rules and reigns, and one day he's coming back again. He gave all of himself for you, and he offers all of himself to you, but he requires that you give all of yourself to him. I trust that this will be an act of faith and worship that you embrace today, this Christmas, that you would believe and bow. This Christmas, see that God presents you with the gift of his presence, and let your present to him be the laying down of your life in worship to the king for he has come. And as we were reminded in the Advent season, he is coming again. John 1, 1 through 5 and verse 14 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John 12, 44 through 46 says this, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness.